Good to see you this morning. Glad that you are here. If you're a guest, we are honored to have you with us. Uh, you picked a good day to be here, too, by the way. really did. Good day to be here. You've already been encouraged, I know. Um, heard a story about a little boy who was attending a family reunion with his family, and they're sitting at a table, and his mother jumps up and says, Oh, there's Aunt uh, Gladys. She went, Aunt Gladys, it's so good to see you. It's been so long. I haven't seen you in ages. She called her little boy and said, Billy, come over here. I want you to meet your Aunt Gladys. Billy looked at the woman and said, Wow, Aunt Gladys, you're really ugly. <laughs> Which sort of set Aunt Gladys back a little bit. Of course, it mortified the mother. She pulled the boy aside and said, Billy, you can't say things like that. That is so rude. That is so hurtful. You hurt Aunt Gladys' feelings. I want you to go over there right now and tell Aunt Gladys you're sorry. Little boy chastised, put his head down, walked over and said, Aunt Gladys, I'm sorry you're really ugly. <laughs> we say we want people to tell us the truth all the time. But I'm not sure that's really the truth all the time. You know, honesty is the best policy, right? But sometimes too much honesty can be a little bit painful. Your wife asks, does this outfit make me look heavy? Well, how honest do you want me to be? Or you ask your wife, am I as much fun as I was back when we were dating? And please, don't be real honest, you know, right now. Because the truth is, people that are honest all the time, we sort of separate ourselves from those people. You know, people that always tell you exactly what's on their mind, that can be a little bit uncomfortable for us. So, so we separate ourselves from people that are always telling us exactly what they feel or what they're thinking. A lot of people pull away from God, I think, for the same reasons. Now, God's telling me something I don't want to hear right now. God's telling me something that's not making me very comfortable to hear, so I'm going to distance myself a little bit from God, even though He's telling me the truth. Of course, Jesus has some things to say about truth. In John chapter 17, Jesus praying to the Father says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus would say several times in Scripture that God's Word is truth. But Jesus didn't come to the earth to beat us over the head with truth. He didn't come to say, you know, let me tell you the truth. You all are pathetic, which is the truth. No. Jesus said the truth is going to set you free. The truth isn't meant to punish. The truth is meant to heal. The truth, God's Word, is meant to take us someplace from where, from where we are to someplace much, much better. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 47, As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save it. Jesus is saying, I'm not here to convince you you have no hope. Just the opposite. I'm here to give you hope. But he does say, in verse 48, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For it did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus says that the truth of God's word... His word leads to eternal life. As Christians, we are led by the truth of God's word. We've been going through this study through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 16 today. 
The Apostle Paul is traveling again. He finds himself with a new companion, a guy by the name of Silas. Um, They're on what we know as Paul's second missionary journey. And I want to use Paul's story in Acts chapter 16 as sort of a backdrop just to further illustrate that God's Word leads us somewhere. It takes us from where we are and guides us to something much, much better. Because the truth is, everybody's looking for direction, right? Everybody's looking for some guidance. We all want purpose in our lives. We all want our lives to count. We want our lives to be meaningful. We all come to these critical crossroads in our lives, and we need guidance. In fact, we long for guidance. We just don't always know where to look for guidance. I'm convinced that we could eliminate so much pain and so much heartache in our lives if we just look to God's Word for guidance. But so often we don't do that. Either because we don't know it or because we don't really believe it to be true. We're going to try to do something this morning that I have never tried to do before. But as a group, we're going to memorize some scripture today. You received a card when you came in this morning. I hope you did. If you didn't, there's a bunch out there in the foyer. Get one. It's got three verses on the front. We're going to memorize these three verses. Because I'm convinced if we can commit God's word to memory, God will use that word to guide us someplace better. So we're going to memorize some scripture today. Now, I know just saying that is causing some anxiety out there, okay? You're, you're thinking, why did I come to church today? <laughs> why today? Or you're thinking, you know, I need to find a... Uh, uh, I, I need my kid to misbehave a little bit so I can get up and take them out. And people think, we're well, just taking a fussy child out. Or you're looking for a kid that you can borrow, it'll misbehave, so, so you can you know, leave the auditorium. Don't stress over this, okay? I understand some people memorize better than others. Some people just have the gift of memorization. Now, maybe you do, maybe you don't. In fact, let's just see, show of hands. How many of you would say, I have the gift of memorization? I, just, I have an airtight memory. I mean, photographic. Fantastic. couple people, you hear a name, you don't forget it ever. Photographic memory. Fantastic. How many of you would say, "Mm, I have, I guess, kind of an average memory? Anybody kind of average memories? I hear things. uh, I usually remember names. How many of you would say, I have a terrible memory? (laughs) You can't even remember your own name most of the time, right? (laughs) You can't even remember why you just raised your hand. You don't remember the question. Listen. What matters is not how well you learn the words, okay? It's not that i got to get every single word exactly right. What matters is you're putting these truths and locking them away in your heart. And what matters is you're allowing God's Word to be part of your mental map so that when you face a crossroad, you allow God's Word to guide you from where you are to someplace better. I mentioned we're going to use the backdrop of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 to help with some strategies for facing these critical crossroads. And the first of these strategies is love. In Acts chapter 16, Paul is directed toward love. He's in the city of Philippi in Acts 16. Um, 
I should mention he's traveling with a guy by the name of Silas. Philippi is a Roman colony. Actually, he's got some other people with him during this leg of the journey. Luke is with him. So is Timothy. Uh, Luke is a Gentile. Timothy's dad was a Gentile. His mother was uh, a Jew. Paul and Silas are both Jews. In verse 16, there's a woman who is possessed by a demon, a slave girl, who is following Paul and Silas around and yelling things about them, things that are true, by the way, but still very distracting. And so Paul and Silas free this young girl from the demon that is possessing her. It doesn't go over well with the people who are making money off this girl. Their golden goose has just been cooked, and they're upset about that. So they start making accusations about uh, Paul and Silas, which, by the way, aren't true. What was true was these two guys just cost us some money. But instead, they don't say that. Instead, they play the race card with Paul and Silas. Look at verse 19. Verse 20, I guess it is. 19, yeah. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. These men are Jews. Now you need to know in Philippi, in this Roman colony, especially during this time, the, uh, the leader Claudius has made it very difficult for Jews and Gentiles to get along. There's, there's always been tension between Jews and Gentiles, but it's really been escalated by Claudius at this time in history. So first, their heritage is attacked. And then they just, they're lied about. Paul and Silas are. The, these men are throwing our city into an uproar, which wasn't true. The people making that accusation were really the ones throwing the city in a, into an uproar. Verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded... <coughs> I just swallowed a bug. <coughs> I kid you not. I saw it flying around. Went right. In. <coughs> it's okay. I'm a professional. I keep. <laughs> I was gonna play it off, but <coughs> I couldn't. I'm sorry. Where am I? Have we started yet? I can't remember. Okay, very good. Let me back up. Acts 16, verse 22. <clears throat> the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So Paul and Silas are arrested, they're beaten, they're put into prison in the inner stocks. Remember, it wasn't very long ago that Paul was the one who was arresting people and putting them in prison. Now he's the one who's in prison. And what we're going to find is... Thank you, Ronnie. I appreciate that. The buggy water. Yeah, wash it all the way down. No, you're not coming back up. Uh, Yeah, what we find when Paul is, and Silas are in prison here, Paul submits to this. He sort of has to, but he also demonstrates love 
towards the very person who has him in chains, toward the very person who has been mistreating him. You know, when you step back and you think about Paul's reaction and, and response to this, I can really only think of one other person who responds, responded that way to people who were mistreating him. You know, a guy named Jesus once showed tremendous love towards people who were mistreating him. Paul does the same thing. How do we know? Well, let's look at the story. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. An earthquake comes, shakes the place, the doors open, the chains fall off. It's a miracle. You know, Paul and Silas are being miraculously released from prison, and now there's nothing standing between Paul and freedom at all. Paul's free to go. Interesting thing, Paul doesn't go. God has miraculously delivered Paul from prison, but he doesn't leave right away. Why not? Peter left right away. When God miraculously freed Peter from prison, he left. John left. When God miraculously released John from prison, Peter or Paul doesn't leave. Why not? Why would Paul stay right where he's been mistreated, right where he's been beaten? Paul knows that uh, the jailer is going to be killed if the prisoners leave. The jailer knows it too. He's drawn his sword. He's ready to kill himself. Paul finds himself at a critical crossroad. What am I going to do? How am I going to respond? I know how, how, how I would have responded. I, I think I would have left. Paul doesn't. He stays. He stays right where he's been mistreated, right where he's been abused and oppressed. Why? So he could show love to the very one who was mistreating him. What we're going to see is Paul is concerned about the jailer's life. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. We haven't left. We're also going to find out that Paul is also concerned about the jailer's soul. Verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. And what kind of transformation has taken place in the heart of Paul? Paul finds himself at this critical crossroad. And he's directed toward love. Irrational as it may seem. He's directed toward love. It would have been really easy for Paul to, to run out the door, thanking God as he went. But he doesn't. He stays in that environment. And he does it in order to save someone's life. Doesn't make sense. But I don't think God's love ever really makes sense. God's love, God's grace, it's always irrational. It never makes sense to us. It's never what should happen. And, of course, this irrational love causes the jailer to respond with, 
What do I need to do to be saved? I want what you have. I want that kind of heart. I want that kind of life. And Paul understands, one more time, love wins. As counterintuitive as it might be, love wins. In fact, Paul's going to learn over and over again, love wins. When you're directed to love, good things happen. Listen, you're going to face critical crossroads in your life. Maybe this week, maybe next. God wants to direct you into love. So here's the first verse that we're going to learn. You thought I forgot about it, didn't you? Yeah. On your card, or I'm going to put it on the, on the screen here as well. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Now listen, you women, you sopranos, you're already ahead of us. Okay? You already know this verse. We sing it all the time. Uh, but let's recite it together. 1 John 4, 7. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. One more time. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. God wants to guide you into love. When we get to a crossroad in our life, we have to decide, what are we going to do? He wants to guide us into love. He wants us to decide, I'm going to allow God to, to, to guide me into love, which, by the way, is much harder than it sounds because let's face it, there are people in your life that are just hard to love. Anybody have anyone in your life that's just kind of hard to love? Anyone? Yeah. Here's a little exercise for you to help with this, kind of to help prompt you with this verse. I want you to think of that person that just for whatever reason they're hard to love. Kind of get a, a visual image of that person. And then when you find yourself at a place, now what am I going to do? How am I going to respond? I want you to think not just of that person, but this verse. I'm thinking of that person. You know, let, me, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now this is just between you and God, by the way, okay? I don't want you going up to somebody after services and say, you know... You're helping me grow spiritually. Because <laughs> you're the one I was thinking of. It's hard to know. Don't, don't say that, okay? But when you find yourself, how am I going to respond? If we could lock that verse into our heart and allow God to lead us into love, oh, what a difference it would make. Now listen, I'm about to say something that, that might surprise you. I'm not challenging you to be more loving. That is not my challenge. I'm not saying you need to be more loving this week than you were last week. What I'm saying is you need to live with this verse in your heart this week. You need to make that verse, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, part of your mental map. You need to allow God's Word, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you somewhere. And what you'll find is the Holy Spirit will guide you into decisions, into statements, into a place that you never could have arrived at on your own. You can't force yourself, you can't make yourself be more loving. You, you don't have it in you. But the Holy Spirit can guide you into love. So, live with those words in your heart. 
Our second strategy. God's word will direct you into joy. When you stand at a critical crossroad, allow God to lead you into joy. Some of you need this pretty badly, by the way. Since we're sharing with each other, another show of hands, how many of you had a hard day the last week or two? Anyone? Like, this was a tough day. It was not fun. Yeah, we have hard days, right? Think of Paul's day in Acts chapter 16. He begins his day by being verbally abused. He's accosted in public. He's the victim of racial profiling. He's lied about. He's attacked by a hostile crowd. He's a He's a victim of a corrupt justice system. He's stripped, he's beaten, he's flogged. He's placed in the inner cell, in stocks. Paul has had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And all he's trying to do is the will of God. And everything has gone wrong. Everything is pushed back against him. How many of you thinking about your last bad day say, well, mine was worse than that? Anyone? Yeah, yeah my, I had some bad days. They weren't that bad. Notice verse 25, Acts chapter 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. There's other prisoners there in the jail. They see Paul and Silas brought in, beaten, bloody, placed in the inner cell, placed in stocks, and those other prisoners had to be thinking, I'm having a bad day, but I'm not having that bad day. You know, I'm not in a place where I want to be. Things are not going well for me, but at least I've got it better than those two guys. And they wait for the cursing and the moaning and the complaining to, to come from the inner cell. But that's not what they hear. They hear something very different. Very strange. They hear praying. And they hear singing. They hear joy. Irrational joy. And then the earthquake happens, the chains all fall away, the deliverance. The jailer who's about to kill himself gets a sense of, uh, takes notice of the joy. Uh, verse 34, a jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, he was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole family. So here's our next verse that we're going to memorize together. Most of you already know it. It's shorter than the first one. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Let's say it together. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. One more time. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Notice the reference is the book of Philippians. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in jail in Philippi. So Paul is writing back to the very place where he was imprisoned. Writing back to that church, that group of Christians. He's writing back to the, that jailer. Okay? And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Now, you're going to come to uh, some crossroads on this one. And the reality is, there are people that you know, there might be some people in this audience this morning, who sort of live their life with um, kind of a sense of despair. 
maybe kind of a negative mindset, kind of a critical spirit. You don't want to be that way. You're not sure why you're that way. And, and you don't, you know, you'd like to change that for, for whatever reasons. You just kind of have a critical spirit. If you're honest with yourself. And when you see other people experiencing joy, it doesn't really bring you joy. In fact, it makes you a little bit upset and a, a little bit uh, envious. This week, when you're having a bad day, remember Paul. Remember this verse. And again, the challenge is not, I'm going to make myself joyful. I'm just going to force myself to be joyful. No. The challenge is, I'm going to live with that verse in my heart. I'm going to lock it away. I'm going to make it part of my mental map. And when I face a crossroad where I've got to decide, how am I going to respond? I want to rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. I'm going to dwell on that verse and just see where the Holy Spirit leads me. Now, let me say this about joy. There are times when grieving is appropriate. Okay? There are times when grieving is the right thing to do. There are times when grieving is the only thing to do. Uh, Philippians 4.4, Paul's not saying, hey, just put on a happy face, okay? Just be happy in any situation. No, that's not what that verse is saying. Paul's not saying, you know, just, just kind of fake it. You know, kind of force yourself to be happy. What Paul is saying is, for the Christian... The worst thing that could happen has happened. Sin and death. And Jesus has overcome it. This idea of rejoicing in the Lord, it's not some trite statement that we see on cards. It's not something that we just, you know, kind of say and not really think about. It is a powerful thing. Paul is saying, when you realize who Jesus is, when you realize what Jesus has done, you can face any situation. Illness, Divorce, even death. Because Satan has taken his best shot and God still reigns. I, I saw a quote. Uh, it says, decide to live in the defiant nevertheless. I liked it so much I put it on the back of the card that you got this morning. Decide to live in the defiant nevertheless. Regardless of what's going on in my day, nevertheless, my God reigns. Yeah, life is tough. Days are hard. You know, things get lonely. Things get frustrating. Nevertheless, my God reigns. There's heartache. There's hurt. There's disappointment. Nevertheless, my God reigns. And I can find joy in that. I can rejoice in that. Here's our third strategy for allowing the Holy Spirit to direct us. And that is into peace. This whole story in Acts chapter 16, it is an unsettling account. I mean, this is a story loaded with drama and anxiety at every turn. And yet you can't read the chapter, you can't read the story without understanding this undeniable peace that Paul seems to have. God gives Paul this heart that's calm and poised and just seems at ease. Look at verse 35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers uh, to the jailer with this order. Release those men. The jailer told Paul, Magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. 
go in peace. That phrase, go in peace, you see it pretty often in Scripture. Remember once Jesus told a woman who'd been struggling for 12 years with an illness, she touched the hem of his garment, she was healed. Jesus says, your faith has healed you, go in peace. And I think what Jesus was saying was, the thing that has bothered you, the thing that has afflicted you, the thing that you've worried about for so long, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Your anxiety level is going to be much, much lower. Go in peace. Now, we live in a society that is driven by anxiety. So Paul does an interesting thing here. When Paul's told, go in peace, Paul doesn't go. He does kind of a, a sit-in thing. Paul says, I'm not leaving. He was a Roman citizen. He was arrested illegally, was treated illegally. And Paul says, I'm not leaving. We're going to deal with this because there was an injustice that was done. And we're going to deal with it. You're not going to sweep this under the rug. You're going to admit your mistake. And by the way, I don't think pride had anything to do with this. Personally, I think Paul's looking out for the church in Philippi when he takes this stand. But when we're talking about peace, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to avoid all confrontation. We need to understand that. Paul was living with this peace, but he's still willing to confront the injustice that's going on. Okay? Paul was living with peace of God, but he's still willing to confront the injustice that he sees happening. He says, we're going to deal with this. Being at peace, living in peace, doesn't mean I'm going to turn a blind eye to injustice. No. Peace isn't, living about, isn't about living beyond or above all strife. It's about the assurance and the protection of God. So here's the last verse that we're going to learn together. Philippians chapter 4, 4. Let's read it together. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. For some of you, i got a feeling this is the verse you need the most. Because some of you, like, have the gift of worry. You know what it's like to stay up night after night after night worrying about something. Something you've said or done, or something you haven't said or haven't done, something someone else has said or done. Something that's going on that really you have very little control over, but still you find yourself worrying about it. And you desperately need that peace. And again, the answer is not stop worrying. Just decide I'm going to stop worrying, because you can't. You can't turn it off. You'll just worry about the fact you're worrying too much. The challenge isn't, I'm going to force myself to stop worrying. I'm going to force myself to be at peace. The challenge is, I'm going to lock that verse away in my heart. I'm going to memorize that verse. And when I come to a crossroad and I'm tempted to worry, I'm going to think about that verse. And I'm going to allow God's Holy Spirit to remind me that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard my heart and guard my mind in Christ Jesus. You know, Jesus told us that a branch can't bear fruit when it's cut off from the vine. Remember that? He said a branch can't go off and bear fruit all by itself. 
No, it's got to stay attached to the vine to bear fruit. We can't produce love. And we can't produce joy. And we can't produce peace apart from the vine. We have to stay attached to the vine for that to happen. And what you'll find is when we're attached to the vine, when we allow the Word of God to be locked away in our heart, then we're led in a way that I can't really explain. I just know it's true. We're led into love. And we're led into joy. We're led into peace. And I'm sure most of you have recognized love, joy, and peace as the first three fruits of the Spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians 5. We can never make ourselves have more love. Can't make ourselves have more joy or more peace. That only comes by being attached to the vine. It only comes by abiding in Jesus. See, my job is to stay in Jesus, to abide in Jesus. His job is to lead me into love and joy and peace and all those other things that were promised and all those other things that we're desperate for. So, you've got three verses. I said we were going to try to memorize them. Does anyone here think they can quote 1 John 4, 7? Harry McKay thinks he can do it. Turn this on for me, Trex. Yeah, you can look it up there if you want. No, no, no. No, no, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He went even farther. Nice. Give him a hand. Nicely done. Does anyone here think they can quote Philippians 4, 4? Well, no, not from your seat. I mean, I want you to hold a microphone. Come on. Come on. You just quoted it. Beulah. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Very good. Nicely done. Does anyone here think they can quote Philippians 4, 7? You might have learned it in a different translation, by the way. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Gloria. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Excellent. Nicely done. So this week you've got three verses. The challenge is I'm going to learn those verses. I'm going to take this card. I'm going to put it someplace where I see it. I'm going to memorize those three verses. I'm going to lock them away in my heart. And when I come to a crossroad, I'm going to let God's Word, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit lead me somewhere where I might never think to go on my own. And I'm going to trust God and the truth of God's Word to take me from where I am to someplace far better. That's our challenge for this week. Listen, as a church family, you know, we end every service the same way. We want to give you an opportunity to share with us if something's on your heart or on your mind that you would like the church here to be praying with you about. If we can help you in any way, there's going to be some people here at the front of the auditorium. Come let us know and we'll, we'll do our very best. Let's stand and, and sing.